House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome, uh, retired Major Ralph Gannis. How are you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. Thank you. So you were just down at the um, the big uh, meeting and everything. How, how did that go? Yes, I was uh, in Dallas, Texas, uh, this past weekend for a, the Lancer Conference, which is a, a gathering of JFK historians and enthusiasts for the subject matter. I was invited in as a speaker, uh, and I did speak on my latest findings that were in my book, the Scorzani Papers, the evidence for the plot to kill JFK. So, now, did you meet anybody that was uh, really fascinating to you? Was there anybody that you really were glad to run into? Well, quite frankly, I'm not a JFK historian. I'm a, you know, as you stated, a retired Air Force officer. Right. Uh, so for me, it was it was a real honor to be among people who had, you know, been studying this uh, subject matter for some time. I met a number of incredibly intelligent um academic academic uh, historians and scholars uh, and lay people that were just interested but well received by everyone there and it was a, a great gathering uh, very informative uh, I, I had a great time good people Wow now do, do, do did you spend the whole time uh, uh, watching and and uh, did you see all of the other uh, people that were speaking as well? That's an excellent question, because when I got there, very few people uh, knew who I was, but when I left, um, I was quite the center of attention. I, on, the, on the Saturday, there were a number of lectures, but there were so many people that wanted to speak to me on sidebar discussions that I literally, I did not, I don't think I caught a single lecture. Uh, I was involved in mostly sidebar discussions with historians who wanted to uh, discuss my findings or ask questions about how their particular research might fit into what I've done. Uh, now, just out of curiosity, when you attend these conventions, I mean, the, the JFK assassination has happened so long ago, and so much has been, you know, thought of, and, and so many topics have been brought up, so many conspiracies have been examined very carefully. Um, how often is it that you you run into something new that may sway your beliefs? Well, I would have never entered this uh, genre of history except for the fact that I found the answer to what happened, and that's what the that's what the book is about. When I gave my lecture uh, at the JFK conference, I told everybody in the audience, "I'm not there to convince them; I'm there to tell them what convinced me when I discovered the answer in the." and the papers that I obtained at auction about six years ago, which is the Scorzani papers. Otto Scorzani was Hitler's top commando in World War II, and he did a number of very famous military operations during the war. So my interest was in, in Scorzani, um, and this was six years ago. Uh, he surrendered to American forces in 1945 and uh, was put on trial during the Nuremberg trials, but was found not guilty. Two years later, he surfaced in Spain. In 1950, Scorzani surfaced in Spain and then 
lived his life there, died in 1975. But the fact of the matter is everyone knew what he did during the war, and then there was this great enigma of what he did after the war. So when his papers came up for sale six years ago uh, out of auction, out of Spain, out of, uh, it came right out of Madrid, I won the auction and I purchased the papers. My intention was to write a book about Scorzani and solve the post-war enigma of his life, you know, to determine whether or not he was involved in the so-called Odessa organization, the secret rat lines for Nazis, or, you know, just what was going on with him. Well, when I got the papers, I got the early shock. Initially, almost within an hour or two of getting the papers, I realized, particularly because of my background in, in intelligence, that he was an asset of the CIA. It was very clear and documented in, in the uh, papers. So from there, it expanded in, into uh, research into these papers and what this might mean as far as um, his relationship, his clandestine relationship with our government. After the um, years, you know, it took me three years of research, 16 hours a day. I stopped everything I was doing to do the research, and um, it was pretty evident that in the papers, which are mainly business papers, that's what you need to understand, mostly business papers and, and some correspondence with his wife, Elsa, uh, these papers revealed uh, clearly that the businesses that the papers pertain to were the cover organizations that the CIA and other and the other intelligence organizations gave him as a cover for his a covert activity, which included assassination. This was during the earliest days of the Cold War from 1948 on, uh, and I can explain this in detail if you like, but so from 1948 on, uh, let me, uh, just, from 1948 on, Scorzani was running a, an assassination capability during the Cold War for the liquidation of double agents and Soviet threats to Operation Paperclip. And by the end of the 1950s into the early 60s, that capability was expanded into something called an executive action capability, which targets foreign leaders for liquidation. It was that capability that was turned against the president in November 22nd, 1963. So Kennedy was killed by an in-house U.S. capability that was um, managed by Otto Scorzani. Now... I must say that a lot of people, when they hear this, they immediately jump to this ridiculous conclusion that Nazis killed, killed Kennedy. That is not, that is the farthest from the truth. No. Although, yeah. Especially given Although, the time span, because you mentioned Operation Paperclip. Um, right. Uh, that that would have far removed him, just like well, Werner von Braun, and that would have kind of removed him from the Nazi party, maybe not taken away his Nazi sympathies, but, yeah, just like you said, it, Nazis did not kill Kennedy. But I would I, not... Oh, go ahead. No, I, I would not put it past... Uh, of course, if it's Operation Paperclip, the CIA is going to snatch him up as an asset. Absolutely. Well, well he, he actually... That was the first... The documents I initially found is in the papers, which will be made public someday. you got to realize that all the papers that I have, the Scorzani papers, will be made public... I hope to get them to an archive like Duke University, the National Archives, where the public can just review the things I'm talking about right now. But Scorzani helped us find scientists initially. Those are that's documented from the papers. I even interviewed the men who were involved with Scorzani at the time. I've interviewed 12 men who knew Scorzani personally, and to a man, they all said he was not a neo-Nazi. In other words, when the he, you know he was 
uh, obviously served Hitler during the war. And when the war was over, he let it go. You know, he was a professional soldier. All 12 men I interviewed said that. And I must say, the Israelis also use Otto Skorzeny by their own admission. And I have personally interviewed twice the man, the Israeli Mossad agent who recruited Skorzeny, Rafi Atan. And this was documented. And I asked Rafi Atan, by the way, captured Eichmann. Rafi Atan also captured uh, Eichmann. So, you know, I asked him, I said, you captured Eichmann. You recruited Skorzeny to help your country. Well, what was the difference? And his response was, Eichmann was a Nazi. Skorzeny was a soldier. So, you know, he was a highly respected guy among uh, the people that carry out this kind of work. And uh, that was not known to the public and is, you know, was held a secret until I bought these papers. I was the first person to ever look, in the, look at these papers and evaluate them. They came straight from the family. So um, it was a great secret. As a matter of fact, the way you should look at this, if you have the CIA on one side and you have auto scores being on the other, well, they gave him a an operational cover, which were the businesses uh, that he was using. Well, when I bought the papers, I bought the bridge. I bought the cutout. With those papers, it allowed me to see the relationship between uh, the CIA and the U.S. government and uh, Joe Sporzani. Now, I don't want to just breeze over something very, I mean, this is spectacular what you said, and, and, and I kind of want to revisit it. You found these papers at an auction. Did they know what I, they had? Oh. Well, they knew they had Otto Scorzani's papers. And uh, they, they uh, you know, they were promoting the auction. It was a historic auction from uh, a very reputable auction house. And uh, it, was a, it was a public auction. It was online. I mean, I was just one of many bidders. And uh, without, I would prefer not to disclose the amount that I you know, paid, oh, no. but it was a lot. It, it was it was a lot. It was in the tens of thousands of dollars for these papers. Now, I bought them completely unaware that they would contain the answer to Dallas. And you must understand, this is definitive. These papers, these businesses that are in these papers, are Dallas businesses and Dallas personalities. So the er the earliest business associations between Otto Scorzani and these businesses that were intelligence and clandestine cover, starting in 1950-51, were coming out of Dallas. So when the president came into Dallas in 1963, there were businesses that were performing operational cover for an intelligence and clandestine uh, network that included assassination years before he ever got there. He was channeled into an environment that was already... Uh, uh, it was already a operational uh, environment. So let, let's go back to the, the CIA being in, involved. Why would they allow these papers, if they knew of their existence, like you said, the seller knew what they had, how would these get out? Why would they not? Well, you asked you ask a, uh, a very important question. And here's the answer. It's very, and this is the business world, you know, this is the, the, the world that I come from. It's, it's uh, quite simple, actually. The CIA didn't know about it. See, you gotta understand something. The, the, the capability, when you see the historical timeline and event matrix that I put into this book, the, the development of this capability with Otto Scorzani began in 1948 in a very compartmented, uh, you know, isolated, uh, section of the CIA. So, 
the way to look at this is the CIA was not running Scorzane. That is not the correct way to say this. The CIA didn't know about it. What's the correct way to say this is this. There was an assassination capability uh, inherent and located within one office of the CIA that was highly compartmented and highly controlled. So it's not like the entire CIA was involved. It was literally one office, and even then, within the office, it was probably on a need-to-know basis. So we may literally be talking about five individuals. I mean, this, this was a high secret, a high state secret, and it's not, uh, it would have not been general knowledge or it would not have been something that a lot of people would have known about. Uh, the capability itself, the executive action capability itself, I equate in the book to the use of atomic weapon. You know, it, the only way to launch this capability would have been by executive order, by the president, or, you know, the uh, national command authority, the secretary of defense, that level. It was the presidential national command authority level capability. Somebody at the CIA couldn't use it, or they couldn't, it would even be impossible uh, for a rogue uh, use. This was a command and control um, uh, situation. In other words, a target would be designated, but this, to, to use this capability um, would have required executive, uh, executive approval. So this small office within the CIA called Staff D, and the guy who ran it was a man named um, William K. Harvey in that, at, during that time period. Um, he managed the program very much like maintaining a, a maybe a nuclear bomber. You know, there's U.S. Air Force personnel who man the bomber uh, and people who maintain the bomber, but they can't launch the bomber. That comes from the president. Same with this capability. It was a very, you know, to kill a foreign leader, to liquidate a foreign leader is a very, very risky uh, proposition. So that capability was held at the highest levels of our government. Yeah, and he was a handler, not an operator. Well, uh, William K. Harvey managed the program, and Otto Scorzani, a foreign asset, ran the program for the agency, and it was a foreign program. So, you know, uh, Scorzani and the people involved in the actual um, business end of this <laughs> capability were, in many cases, foreign leaders, I mean foreign leaders, foreign uh, operatives. Uh, for example, the man who was sent into Dallas to carry out the Dallas affair was a man named uh, Captain Jean-René Swetry. I talk about him in the book. So he was a French assassin. So it was a French assassin that was kill sent in to kill President Kennedy. Um, oh, and okay, yeah, I wanted to kind of take it by steps because I'm trying to put it all okay. together in, in my mind. So right. okay. you you acquired these papers that kind of explained it, it, I'm sorry explained where Scorsese come from, where his sympathies lay, and he was a professional soldier, not a a neo Nazi. So he kind of gave up the jacket whenever he came aboard Operation Paperclip. The CIA realizes what a, a beautiful asset this is. They take him and make him a pro for all intents and purposes a program manager so what was his involvement with the actual assassination well that uh, his exact involvement uh, may never be known unless documents surface but what we say is this 
that the capability, the network that was utilized uh, in Dallas has links to the principal characters of the assassination. I'll give you three examples, three very good examples. The, the, the shooter, for example, or the man at least in charge of the, uh, what would have been a sniper team. And I did not go into forensic in, in, forensics in the book, so I, don't, I can't tell you where the shot came from. But I can tell you that there was a sniper team that was sent in, and it was led by a man named Captain Jean-René Swetry, and he was a French OAS assassin, same guy they'd been trying to kill de Gaulle. And by, you know, the reason we know he was in Dallas is because of a declassified CIA document. Uh, it's publicly available. You can find it on the Mary Farrell site and a number of other places. Uh, uh, other historians have talked about him. Uh, Swetry was flown out of Dallas the day after the assassination. What people did not know is he was part of Scorzani's network. That's what's new. So the, there is already a document stating that this French assassin had been flown out of Dallas. Uh, what changed, what the dynamic that has changed is the fact that the Scorzani papers confirmed he was part of an assassination network. So if you want to believe, uh, uh, at this point, if you want to believe that Lee Harvey Oswald did it or didn't do it, it doesn't matter. You Now you have a very big problematic uh, situation where you have to explain the presence of a known French assassin in Dallas on the November 22nd and through the Scorzani papers, confirmation that he was part of an assassination network. Um, so the papers are also linked to Jack Ruby uh, in a very big way, and I'll explain this. Wow. Uh, Jack Ruby, uh, yeah, it's very simple. Jack Ruby had a business partner in gun running. His name is Thomas Eli Davis. Other historians have written about him. You can, you can find his name as well in other academic studies. But people didn't know too much about it. Thomas Eli Davis was, uh, and this is documented again through declassified CIA documents, that Thomas Eli Davis was in Madrid just weeks before the assassinating, uh, assassination where he met with a, a Madrid businessman named Victor Oswald. Well, no, no relation to uh, Lee Harvey. Victor Oswald was a Swiss national. He was the Chase Manhattan Bank representative for Spain. He was also a former OSS, Office of Strategic Services, uh, intelligence officer. But most importantly, he's one of the principal business partners of Otto Scorzani in the Scorzani papers. So the fact of the matter is Jack Ruby's business partner in gun running met with Scorzani's main principal business partner in Madrid only weeks before the assassination. And I could go on about this guy, but that's, you know, the basic crux of that connection. As far as Lee Harvey Oswald himself, he was a patsy, just like he said he was. He was an operational deception. Um, he is also linked to the Scorzani papers through something called the Toy Story Foundation. Most people are familiar with the name George Marinshield, who is the uh, Russian uh, who uh, befriended um, Oswald in Dallas, uh, George Marin Shield and Paul Rygorotsky, uh, two of the big Russians in Dallas, were intimately connected to the Toy Story Foundation. And as it so happens, uh, on the board of directors of the Toy Story Foundation, listed on the board of directors with Paul Rygorotsky, is uh, Colonel Herschel V. Williams, a U.S. Air Force intelligence officer, who is also in the Scorzani papers and a principal business partner with Otto Scorzani. Uh, 
and I could go on with these types of connections. In other words, every major facet of the story, whether it involves Oswald, whether it involves Rudy, whether it involves this mysterious French assassin that was flown out, Swetry, other aspects which I could you know, talk in detail about are all linked to the Scorzani papers. And the reason I talk so definitively is I'm not coming up with some idea. I've never developed a theory about the JFK assassination. That's not what this is about. The reason I talk so definitively is I have evidence. I have evidence of what happened in Dallas on November 22nd. And that is what this book is trying to explain. It explains the history, the timeline, the event matrix, and the principal organizations and networks tied to the Scorzani uh, covert uh, capability. Well, just out of curiosity, let me get your take on this, because as I'm, I mean, you've added a whole new aspect to the JFK assassination. What if, and, and let's just kind of back out and, and look at the, you know, let's Google map this. Let's back out and look at the whole thing. Would it be fair to say that maybe this, maybe it's all true? That maybe the CIA made it this complex, you know, we've got, you know, all these theories, and now we've got this new one that, that you've introduced. Would it be beyond the abilities of the CIA back then to make it so doggone complex that it'll keep us guessing for years? That we can well, never quite pin it down because, you know, you've got Lee Harvey Oswald. Now you've got Scorsese. You have a French assassin leaving. You've got a Cuban connection. You've got all these connections. Would it be fair to say that perhaps it's all true? It's all part of the same plan? No, that is not correct. I would not say that at all. In fact, Scorzani papers are the definitive answer. I'm, what, I'm, what I'm stating is, is exactly what I put on the very front page of my book, and I'll read it directly verbatim to you right now. It's just one short uh, couple of sentences. And this is I put my name to this, and I put my name on the line for this. Uh, based on the evidence that I've seen. Now, right here, as you open the book, the Warren Commission was not created to find the answer to the JFK murder, but to deflect attention away from all intelligence and operational links to the assassination. Witnesses that should have been called were not. Others acted as agents of deception. Superfluous and irrelevant data abounds in the documents obtained by equally worthless witnesses and individuals called to testify. Mountains of documents were created to confuse, mislead, and divert attention away from the true conspiracy that was linked to a covert paramilitary network operating in Dallas and linked directly to Otto Scorzani. So the bottom line is this. There was the conspiracy is the cover-up. The capability is simple. It would, it was already in place. When it came time to do this, the National Command Authority and by that I mean the people in charge of the government would have been in the know as far as the capability. They ordered it into action. Orders were issued. Orders were carried out. There was no conspiracy with the mafia, with Cubans. This was a U.S. capability directed against the president. And if you get into the motive side, I state very clearly, in my opinion, because motive is not revealed by the papers, but I was able to somewhat, you know, find these pointers to the motive. They did this to save the country from an absolutely catastrophic, catastrophic pending doom that was imminent. Hmm. Well, I consider myself schooled. 
<laughs> well, now the motive. I, I, I did speak. I did speak briefly about the motive there. I um, I have a small section of my book uh, on the motive, uh, which you know it could be debated because it is not derived from the Scorzani papers. I derived the motive through parallel analysis. In other words, the papers revealed certain facts, and those are what I you know I put into the organizational studies, the link analysis, and the identification of individuals who. Uh, either worked with or for Scorzani, uh, so that's pretty definitive. To get to the motive, I looked at major events that were taking place, and I point to two very specific pieces that would have played, in my opinion, uh, to the backdrop of why they had to do this, and that was the Profumo affair that had broken England, which was literally almost about to bring down the British government, and the Bobby Baker scandal in the United States. Uh, and if you like, I would explain both of those. If not, the reader or the uh, listener can can look those up. But uh, they are critically important to understanding why this action uh, or was was uh, took place. Now, I- I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead, Al. I was just going to say, give a briefing of of those two events. Um, okay. If- the, the, yeah, yeah, it's very simple. The and, the and the listener can look these up. They're very famous in history. The Profumo affair was a prostitution ring in England, uh, 1961, uh, centered around the prostitute named um, Christine Keeler. Um, you can see pictures of her online. And it literally almost brought down the British government. She was sleeping with our equivalent of the Secretary of Defense, um, uh, the Minister of Defense, uh, Macmillan, and uh, she was also the girlfriend of the Soviet attache in London. It was a big mess. It broke publicly, and Kennedy was watching the Profumo affair, uh, because uh, in the United States, there was a simultaneously, or almost simultaneously, there was a, a scandal that was uh, breaking in the United States called the Bobby Baker scandal. Again, you, there's online you can see stuff about this. Bobby Baker was a political operative of Johnson, uh, Vice President Johnson. He was being um, investigated for slot machine irregularities, and in that investigation, it was going to lead to something else. He was... Um, Doing and that is providing a high dollar call, uh, uh, high prof, um, not profile, but a, um, a call girl service in Washington D.C. Uh, just um, these um, party girls, uh, as they called them, were were being um, provided for senators, House you know uh, representatives, uh, lobbyists, and the president. So the president was utilizing the um, prostitutes from the Bobby Baker. Um, ring, and one of these in particular was named Ellen Romish. Uh, she was flown out of the United States, uh, from what I understand, on a military aircraft uh, only uh, a few weeks before the assassination, a month at the most, I think. But in any, in any event, the president was sleeping with Ellen Romish. She was the wife of a West German sergeant who was here in the United States TDY on special duty, but she was uh, prostituting herself and uh, sleeping with the president, and it is suspected that she was also a Soviet agent. Now, that is research that has been done, and there's actually people working on it now as far as uh, the books, as, as I understand, but the bottom line is this. I think that the, and this, this is where, you know, I had to kind of divine this because the Scorzani papers don't reveal this, but I, I'm, I was thinking what would cause the, the National Command Authority to engage an executive action capability against their own president. It is my opinion that what was getting ready to happen was there was this scandal was getting ready to break that 
the Bobby Baker scandal or investigation was going to lead to the public exposure of this information and, and expose the overlapping two prostitution rings, this would have effectively just totally disgraced the president. It would have uh, destroyed the office of the presidency. It would have brought down the halls of government because of the other people that were involved, and it would have handed the Soviets a high ground moral victory at the very height of the Cold War when nuclear tensions were at its, at its peak. This, this whole affair just overlapped and uh, would have greatly affected uh, what we call nuclear command and control. The president controls nuclear weapons, so this would have affected that. And so they had to do something to stop it. And uh, in my opinion, uh, there may be other factors, but they, they made a call, they, a dreadful call, probably uh, just a gut-wrenching call to uh, kill one man uh, to save the country, to spare the country of this knowledge. It was a, uh, it was not a coup de gras or a coup d'etat. It was a coup de gras. It was, uh, you know, they, they were, um, basically doing this, um, to sacrifice one man. I, I equate it in the, in the book to dropping the atomic bomb. And I knew Paul Tibbetts, uh, you know, you, when you don't want to drop an atomic bomb, it's going to kill millions of people, but it, you know, it would end the war and save, save a lot of lives ultimately. Well, in this case, you're instead of killing millions, you're killing one. You're killing one to, to spare the country and uh, and prevent the adversary, in this case the Soviet Union, from gaining uh, a great propaganda victory at uh, a time we couldn't afford to have it. So, in order, in other words, they stabbed Caesar to save Rome. Yes, that, that's exactly right, and the capability itself had already been used, or uh, not used, but, uh, well, uh, uh, proposed. Uh, they had, uh, it, it was the Scorzani um, assassination capability that was being directed at Castro uh, in 60, uh, in 59-60, and then it was also that same capability at that same time period that was being directed into the Congo to, to kill Lumbumba. So the that assassination capability which was already being directed at other foreign leaders, was merely turned against against the home man. And uh, so there was, so there, you didn't have to have people sneaking around or going to the mafia. Get, you know, that, that would have been almost impossible, in my opinion. That's why I never agreed with conspiracy theories, because it just seems too, uh, too incredible to think that you could keep that many people in, you know, involved, you know, this cast of thousands. It just doesn't work. But with the Scorzani papers, it eliminates the cast of thousands because the pre-existing capability, A, was uh, in existence. It was already there, and it, it extended out of Dallas, and the number of people that would have known may have been less than 10, maybe five, within the entire government. So there were people at the top who knew about the capability. They knew we had the capability, but they didn't know who was running it or managing it. You know, they just... They just knew it existed, so they had the ability to order it into action. Uh, and when I say the National Command Authority, I'm saying the President or the Secretary of Defense. You know, it takes it would it would have been uh, a very controlled capability. This is this is a uh, um, you know this is not some something you can just put together. I mean, uh, you know, it's 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 a big deal. So, so given everything that you've discovered, what is your reception? I mean, how are other people? receiving this because I mean Al and I have, have interviewed literally hundreds uh, of JFK theorists and we've gone everywhere from you know Cuba to Manchurian Canada 
certainly you've got to be ticking some people off. Uh, what is, how were you received? Well, I was received, uh, normally I'm received with silence because people don't know really quite what to say. Even, even, um, well-versed people in the so-called, um, you know, assassination, um, conspiracy theories that have already been put forward. The difference here is this. If you had, um, and I'm just going to put this point blank, so you have the 2,000 books or more that have been written on the JFK assassination. Well, the names in the Scorzani papers in the book that I just wrote are not in those 2,000 because, as I state in the book, if you're focused on Oswald or if you're using the declassified documents or the Warren Commission, then you're using the deception. See, there's, there, there's no way to get to the answer. And you can't just develop something in your mind that won't work. And this case can only be solved with evidence. And the Scardani papers is the evidence. Now, if the American public wants the answer, then I just wrote about it. If they don't, and they want to continue to believe in the mythology, follow some other hypothesis that continues to go down rabbit holes, that's their prerogative. I can't control that. And I can't control whether or not I make people mad. All I know is this. I know what I've seen. I know what these papers contain. And I know these papers are going to be made available to the American public so that they can make their own determination. I feel very confident that my analysis is correct. You know, I didn't do it in a vacuum. I murder-boarded this, you know, with uh, friends of mine who are uh, very uh, adept, you know, uh, researchers uh, themselves. And uh, I tried to make sure I didn't make any analytical mistakes. Now, I, you know, there are mistakes in the book. I think I called Dallas the, the capital of Texas, for example. So, you know, there's some <laughs> small, you know, there's some there's some small errors in the book. Somebody may also argue with my uh, uh, my determination on motive. That's fine. Um, but the bottom line is the the existence of the capability uh, and Scorzani's connections to it. The people that are tied to the networks that I described is absolutely irrefutable because they're documents, and these documents tell the story that I just described to you uh, in uh, in the past few minutes. Now I gotta ask: Did you already have a theory about Scorsese, which sent you in search of these papers, or did you just? I mean, this is fascinating. Did you just well, happen to be at an estate sale, and they're like, "Coming up next, Scorsese papers." We'll start the bidding at fifty dollars. No, I I was uh, I didn't know. I I like military history, and uh, I think the day that this happened, that I found out about the auction, I was just. Uh, I was researching uh, military history. World, I, I read about World War II history. So I was reading and doing online research on World War II, and I, I think I was doing queries on Otto Scorzani, and I noticed the, the auction came up. And when I saw the auction, I said, oh, my gosh, you know, Scorzani's personal papers are going to be auctioned. So I immediately signed up for the auction, and, uh, you know, I, I went into the bidding process, which was telephonic. It was on the phone. And I won. And so uh, the auction house had reviewed the papers, and they admitted to their historical significance, say, you know, stating that whoever gets them should might be able to find some nuggets of the Cold War or something, you know. 
But uh, I had no idea. I mean, I'm not. I had no interest in JFK history or the, the conspiracy. My only interest in JFK before the, before I acquired the papers is the fact that my birthday is May 29th and JFK's birthday is May 29th. Uh, and I also remember as a small boy at five years old, my the stoic response of my mother and father when they when they saw that he had been assassinated. But uh, as far as I was concerned, I mean, I had no idea these papers contained anything related to the JFK assassination. It was the farthest thing from my mind. But when I got the papers, uh, like I said, um, I initially, almost within the hour or two, uh, realized he was an asset of the CIA. That I was like floored. Uh, and, but it was still several months later before the Dallas angle to it, it um, arose out of the research. Uh, but there came a threshold. There came a point where I was like, wow, you know, these businesses are covers uh, for intelligence and uh, operational activity during the Cold War. And then, you know, I noticed, and they're coming out of Dallas. So, and then, so as I did the, the study of the people involved, uh, the, the links and the linkages uh, to the story continued to a point where I was just in my room one day and I go, I think this, this has link, this has, uh, um, you know, it, it's it's tied to the assassination. I, I I just reached a point where I I knew it, so that's when I knew I had to write the book, you know, and get it out. Now, Al and I, like I said, we've interviewed a lot of JFK theorists, and uh, certainly Al before I came aboard the House of Mystery. There are a couple that you know possibly fear for their lives due to what they've discovered or what they've revealed. Uh, how do you feel about? Are you Maybe kind of, you know, being a little bit more cautionary now that you're releasing this information. No, I mean, uh, I mean, we're free men living in the, in the United States of America, <laughs> gentlemen. I mean, I, I've been a soldier all my life. I've served my country in the Marine Corps, the Army, and the Air Force. You know, thirty over thirty-seven years total service, five wars. I mean, um, you know, dangerous would you might could say was my business, but I'm I don't fear. Um, uh, anything in that sense. I mean, this is, uh, it's been a long time. This, it's very historical. There's, the papers are not classified documents. Uh, they are historic documents that relate an unfortunate truth. I mean, uh, the American people, um, have wanted an answer, have felt that there was perhaps some conspiracy, and now I'm here to tell the American people that that is correct. There is a conspiracy. That it, the United States government killed Kennedy. Uh, and that they used an in-house capability to do it, and then they had a cover-up, which is the Warren Commission. The Warren Commission is a false document. It is designed to cover and spare the American public the, un the you know, the unfortunate and ugly truth of a of a pending doom that that the national, you know, authorities, um, you know, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, it's tragic. They had. They felt in their minds this was their way out to save and spare the nation the, this, this tragic news. So that's the way I see it. Um, now, like I said, people can argue motive, and uh, that's fine, but they can't argue the, about the network. I mean, if you want to look at it this way, a monkey, you know, the, the wrench has been thrown into the engine. The monkey, you know, it's, uh, the, en the engine's going to lock up now. I mean, you can just, you can, uh, people can, avoid talking about the Scorzani papers all they want to, but they exist, and uh, the book has been written. And by the way, I will state this, 
and this goes back to your question just a moment ago. I wrote this book in a way that you don't need the papers. If you read what I wrote and look at the operational links, the network analysis that I did, you still should come to the same answer without the papers because once the papers expose the individuals and organizations, you can go to other studies to confirm the things that I said. The papers help, and the papers certainly uh, provide an instant uh, confirmation of, of the people and associations. But even without the papers, the, the, the uh, exposure and explanation of the, the link analysis that's in this book can stand on its own without the papers, and therein lies the problem for people that are going to try to counter it. Hmm. This is the power of evidence. So where do you plan on going with the information now that you have it? And what's your plan of attack to, to bring this to the public? Well, the plan is already in. Uh, there's no I, – I, uh, I thought it was my civic duty uh, when I found the answer. Um, I mean, you, you look at it one way. I, I had evidence of what happened. If I had done nothing, I would have been an accessory after the fact. So I, I brought this – I, I – uh, I did it the way I thought it was necessary to do it. I wrote this book to bring the evidence forward to the American people. And uh, from there, I mean, my work is done. I mean, the, pa the papers themselves need to be made public so that, uh, you know, scholars and American people can see them and make their own determination. Uh, I've, I've done the best I could. As far as I'm concerned, my work is done. Um, you know, I bought the papers. I saw the answer. I revealed them. And, uh, you know, being a, you know, I'm still an Air Force officer. I'm retired. So loyalty to my country and to the American people. Uh, I feel like I've done my duty, in other words. So um, that's, that's well, basically what, you, what I can say about that. What exactly do you hope would come from this? Like, where, what do you hope happens? What would be a, a good outcome for you? Well, for me personally or for the country, I think for the country, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be quite a challenge because a lot of books and histories have been written. So we're going to have to come to terms with the true history. So I think it would be, it would behoove the United States government, the United States people to, uh, to do a little soul searching here and, and, uh, you know, realize that I think, the, you know, the, the great moral lesson out of this is that people in high positions of power, the presidency and other high positions of power, their, their personal lives and the things that they do have major, you know, uh, ramifications. They, they have to be, uh, focused on, uh, the things that they they swore they would do, you know, it's this is about having a moral compass and doing the right thing. People have got to do the right thing if they're the leaders of the country. I mean, uh, so I think that's the, on that side of it. And then, as far as the American people are, they can they can rest easy now that the answer has has been found. They can also, I think, take some measure of uh, um, what's the word? Uh, well, they can they they should feel good that a you know an Air Force officer found the answer and came forward that in other words uh, that there's not a government conspiracy that's going to continue to keep this under wraps I mean there are um, uh, men and women who are true to their oath to the Constitution and uh, they're not going to be involved in anything that is extra legal extra legal or illegal um, or, or immoral so um, I think that's that's the important thing. I, it's you know it's a dark history. I didn't want to find this. 
but it came to me, so it's destiny. I, I, uh, would, I personally have not lost any uh, love for my country and my fellow Americans. I or for you know, I I don't see this as a a uh, um, a tragic mark on American history. It is what it is. These men and uh, they you know they made a decision to use the capability. Um, was it extra legal? I think it was. Um, was it right or wrong? I, you know, it looks to be wrong, but, you know, we don't have all the facts yet. Uh, you know, can it be overweighed by the fact that they did it to save the country? Now, again, that's my opinion. Um, perhaps. I don't know. We just, we just, uh, we just need to accept it as, uh, as the evidence, uh, presents itself. Um, other countries, no, go ahead. No, because back then they were just as convinced as we are today that they were serving their country and they were serving with a sense of patriotism. So can, right. can, we, you know, can we fault them for that? You know, was it this this dark, you know, star chamber type conspiracy? It, ah, perhaps, but not necessarily. I think they were they were caught between a rock and a hard place. I think that if this had if this information about the, the prostitution rings and the entire the, the Soviet penetration, the, the honey trap, of, and all of the nasty details of what was going on in D.C. and in, and in England, I think it would have been an absolute uh, unmitigated disaster. I don't even know. You know, I would say this, gentlemen. I don't think this was a matter of national security. I think it was a matter of national survival. And, it, I mean, this was the most desperate, probably, you know, gut-wrenching act in history. I think there was a, a great deal of uh, relief that the assassin team was headed by a Frenchman, Jean-René Swetry, you know, who was, you know, also, uh, you know, uh, I guess the point here is that I don't know what, you know, what American soldier would have the intestinal fortitude to, uh, to you know, kill an American president. I don't, or what, or any American for that matter, it would be very, very difficult. Uh, Oswald was a, uh, was a patsy. It was an incredible, uh, Moved to use Oswald because he had been to the Soviet Union. He was a low-level Soviet agent, and um, by using Oswald, um, they held a trump card, I believe, against the uh, the Soviet Union. If the Soviet Union, who knew about the prostitutes, if they had come forward and said we're we're going to, you know, if they come forward to disclose the information that the uh, national authority was trying to prevent from coming out, uh, then the national authority. Um, could have said no, you know, your guy killed our president, World War Three. In other words, they it, 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 on the back burner was this even more terrible scenario that they would they would have probably had to go to World War Three rather than let this information get out about what had happened. And and Oswald was their ace by using him as the patsy. They held a they held a card over the Soviets and uh, you know a war card. And so that was their failsafe. So now, okay, now for our listeners, do you have a website or some sort of uh, blog or something that they can get in contact with you or be uh, see what you've got and, and any late uh, information? No, I I don't uh, I don't do don't, too much. I don't do any social media. But I, and I the book is available on Amazon. Okay. Um, uh, it, it's called the Scorzani Papers, um, the evidence for the plot to kill JFK, and uh, I don't do any promotionals. I, I haven't even done, any, you know, and really only one little book signing. 
But, uh, you know, it's not really about the promotion here, gentlemen. It's about the information. So, um, you know, I didn't do this for fame and glory. It's not. <laughs> I did it because I found the answer. So. Okay. Well, what we're going to do is we'll have you posted up on our website and on the station site so people can just click and buy your book with one click. And it makes well, can I, can I make a, do I have time to make a final comment? Yeah, you sure, sure can. Go for it. All right. Uh, just, I'll leave you with this. Uh, there's a famous uh, Zapruder film which shows the president being shot. I think most Americans have heard of it. And uh, it's that famous film that was uh, acquired the day of the assassination. The man who acquired that film on the day of the assassination for Time Life Books was a man named Charles Douglas Jackson, C.D. Jackson. Now, what Americans may, ne may not know, two things about him. One is he was the top psychological warfare officer of the United States government at the time of the acquisition. He was literally the top psychological warfare officer. He is linked to the Scorzani papers. But more importantly, 20 years later, when the film was finally released to the American public, that was in about 1975, I believe around that time frame, Walter Cronkite and the young Dan Rather went uh, into a, a documentary NBC special. They went frame by frame, and they, they showed that the analysis of the film showed that the president was shot from the Texas Book Depository and not from the, you know, any, anywhere else. Here's the problem now with the Scorzani papers. The company that did that analysis for the NBC special was ITEK, I-T-E-K. That company had on as chairman a man by the name of Frank Lindsay. Now, here's the problem. Frank Lindsay, in 1948, was the operations officer for the Office of Policy Coordination, which is the forerunner to the CIA, the Office of Policy Coordination run by Frank Wisner that brought Scorzani in as the initial assassination capability into an office called PB7 run by Colonel Boris Pash. So the, here's, so the bottom line is this. The Zapruder film is tainted from front to back from its acquisition by C.D. Jackson, who is linked to the papers, to the analysis by ITEC, whose chair is Frank Lindsay. So there's another example of how the papers are definitive and how the documentation and the evidence is going to be decisive as soon as people understand what is in the Scorzani papers. Okay, then. Well, <laughs> Mr. Right, Major <laughs> Major. Ralph Gaddis, thank you very much for being on the show. Well, thank you, sir. It's my pleasure. Thank you, sir. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. <laughs>